From the Crossroads of America in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powder Keg, and I will be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I'm joined in studio by co-host Christopher Toaf Day, CEO of Elevate Ventures. Hello, Matt. And on the show today is Mitch Frazier, President and CEO at Agrinovis. When you look at crop protection plant science, that segment of the Indiana Ag Bioscience Economy, for the first time over the last 10 years when we measured this, it, it didn't decline. Well, hello, Matt. Mitch Frazier is the president and CEO of Agrinovis, a nonprofit leading Indiana's initiative to accelerate innovation and economic growth at the intersection of agriculture and technology. Before starting Agrinovis, Mitch was the CEO at Reynolds Farm Equipment, VP of Marketing at Tinderbox, and VP of Marketing, Investor Relations, and Global Communications at Exact Target. And in today's show, we're going to cover Indiana's journey to add billions to the ag bioscience economy by 2024, transitioning out of tech into a legacy business like farm equipment sales, and also the latest advancement in ag tech, Mitch. Thanks for being on the show, man. Oh my gosh, Matt. Thanks for being here. It is fun to bring together tech and ag and food all in one place and we get to do it with you. Heck yeah, right before lunch too. Perfect. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, I'm, I'm excited to dive into everything ag tech, but first wanted to talk a little bit about uh, your backstory. Sure. Tof, Tof and I love just getting to know people better, where they came from, how they grew up. Uh, can you take us back to your earliest memories of agriculture, tech, sure. entrepreneurship? Yeah, I'm a guy who found myself in ag and didn't grow up on a farm. I grew up in rural Indiana in Tipton County, Indiana, and you know it was around tractors, was around farming, but never thought this would be part of what I do. I spent time active duty in the Army, spent five years on active duty, worked for the Army uh, as a civilian in Iraq and down in New Orleans following Hurricane Katrina, and then ultimately come, came back to Indiana to work for Governor Mitch Daniels, ultimately in economic development. It's where I met the team at Exact Target. And anyone who knows anything about tech in Indiana knows the guy behind Exact Target, Scott Dorsey. He is magnetic, uh, truly one of the most influential leaders on my life, setting great examples in business and fatherhood and being a great husband. He's just an amazing guy. He brought me over to Exact Target, did quite a bit of work in comms, communications, then did a lot of work in marketing, and then got my MBA and decided hey, you know, it looks kind of like we're going to go public. I and mean, we hired a new public company CEO. We'd raised quite a bit of venture. And so I literally just went and knocked on the new CFO's door and was like, hey, man, um, I don't know if we're going to go public, but if if we are, I'd like to be a part of it. I can carry things. I can <laughs> shuffle things. Uh, and he and Scott came to me about a week later, if memory serves, and said, hey, we'd like you to be our investor relations officer and had just an amazing opportunity to be a part of this team that took Exact Target public. As you know, uh, Exact Target had an amazing IPO, an amazing run as a public company, tremendous outcome. Uh, that's now the cornerstone of the Salesforce Marketing Cloud, a $2.5 billion acquisition back in 2013. And then found my way through consulting, kind of as a fractional chief marketing officer, into the world of ag. Mm -hmm. And uh, fell in love, I mean, fell in love with this economy that is built on feeding people. I mean, there, it's the only economy in the world that touches every person on this planet. And when you think about that, and you every, think day. every day, every day, ideally yeah. three times a day, right? right. And so, <laughs> so you look at this and you go, okay, well, there's something here. And then you look at the massive, the massive opportunity that is tech around ag, the troves of data that just the effluent off of a tractor in terms of data. It's, it's amazing. And you see these worlds collide. And, 
as we went through the global pandemic, it just became so clear to me that there will be regions, there will be communities that emerge as winners. And I, you know, through a whole lot of discernment on my own, decided that, you know, I, th I think this is the right time for me to go do that. And here I am at Agronovus. Beth Bechtel, the founding CEO of Agronovus, did an amazing job of building the infrastructure. And then I've picked up the ball and we've been running ever since, Matt. It's been awesome. So can we can we pop back real quick? Sure. So this is why I find I love these podcasts and I find diving deeper in with people fascinating. So so um, be, before we come to there's so many questions I have about present day, but we go backwards. Number yeah. one, thank you for your service. That's amazing. Thank you. It was an honor. So so you're in so you grew up in in a rural area and then you go into the services. I'm curious what you did in the services. Where I'm leading with this whole question is like the cross sector mm -hmm. implications of your background. Um, because grew up in rural Indiana, you, you go to get into services. I'm curious what you did in the services. How'd you find your, your way into technology? How'd you meet Scott when you came, came yeah. to Indiana? Um, and how'd you choose marketing and comms? Right. And then we'll eventually get to the whole ag bioscience piece and yeah. how all those pieces tie together. And, and by the way, selling farm implements, right. On a large scale. Um, so back to the services. Yeah, so it, you do it's there? a great question. So I want to first thank my dad and thank my grandparents. Both both grandpas were in the service. Grandpa was a Navy guy. The other grandpa was a Marine. I never met him. Uh, my dad was in the Army. And so I knew from pretty early age that I would I would serve. And I you know, dabbled in reporting and photography. And so I had a chance to join the Army as a public affairs specialist, which hmm. like the, the, when you do the secret decoder ring, what that means is you're a reporter for the, the base newspaper. And as you grow in terms of rank, you become basically a PR guy. And so I had the great fortune of serving as the public affairs leader, the, the soldier leader, uh, for the largest foreign language training institution following 9-11. I mean, it was Monterey, California. Wow. And so the Presidio of Monterey Defense Language Institute, that's where we we as a, as a country teach people to speak foreign language. Mm. And so 9-11 happens and, you know, I, I'm on active duty and have an amazing opportunity to see, to serve, and to be a part of something where we are building the future of the force. And it was, Tofu, it was awesome. That's amazing. I, I have to share one quick story. Uh, so the, the USS John C. Stennis mm -hmm. aircraft carrier, I had the, the, the absolute honor of spending a night on that out at yeah. sea. So on the, wow. on that aircraft carrier for 30 what was it 36 or maybe a little bit longer hours and uh i think people don't realize i didn't realize the um the amount of service that our armed services do in in terms of humanitarian efforts like every single day right those aircraft carriers are cruising around the world and they're dropping off things to, to other countries that need help you know famine all those kinds of things it's happening every single day every single week nobody ever hears about it it's true i mean there there are so many there's so many stories from those who have served, those who are serving. And, and I, I want to go back to something you said, because you said, how did we get the, how did you get here? When, when you look at all the things that we talk about today in terms of workforce, it doesn't matter whether it's ag bioscience, pick your favorite sector of the economy. We talk about how do we train people? The military has been doing this for decades, centuries, right? I mean, yeah. sincerely, right? Yeah. I joined the army. If they can teach somebody like me to write, like that's a pretty good thing. And, and then ultimately found my way into working for the army as a civilian. And then, you know, got into comms, got into marketing, et cetera, et cetera. But the whole notion of that is, is we have a system 
And if there are young people listening, there are all kinds of jobs. If there is a job that you're thinking about, you cybersecurity, Indiana sure. has a massive cybersecurity operation in the Army National Guard. Yep. I mean, there are so many things and get your college paid for. I mean, literally yeah. my undergrad and my MBA paid for by you. So thank you, Tove, uh, <laughs> and all the taxpayers who are listening. <laughs> That's awesome. I think people don't realize that either. That's right. It's amazing. Yeah. So how did you get plugged into tech when you moved to Indianapolis? Yeah, so I'm working at the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. And uh, like any other fast-growing company, Exact Target's making big news. And I remember having uh, lunch with Scott Dorsey. I don't know if he knows this story, so this is going to be good. Uh, I had lunch with Scott Dorsey. This was, uh, I don't know, 2000, probably 2007, late 2006. And great meeting, a f- sort of a friend of a friend connection. So we have lunch and... I'd leave that lunch. I'm like, that guy is amazing. I don't think I'm set for a startup, right? Like it feels really risky. I don't know. <laughs> and fast forward another year and there's another big jobs announcement from Exact Target, And they had just hired a new chief marketing officer by the name of Tim Kopp. Yep. And you know, you, there's those people in your life when you first meet them, you're like, that guy's going to change me. And I and Tim had been at these little companies like Coca Cola, right? Well, that that was exactly it. Is so I meet Tim and I'm like, man, he is really awesome, right? Like this guy is incredible. He's just driven. He understands this. And then I got to know him, and yeah, he worked at Coca Cola. He was the first, I think, VP of digital at Coca Cola. He was the first P and G VP of digital. I'm like, okay, listen, you know, this is probably a life lesson here. You don't have to be really smart. You just have to know, like identify start smart patterns. And so I was like, okay, if that guy's going to give up that stuff, I should probably be thoughtful <laughs> about this. And so uh, I remember it was the day after Thanksgiving. I, c- I can almost like see myself typing an email to Scott Dorsey and Tim Kopp. And I'm like, Hey, um, I'd like to come work with you. And, you know, fast forward another four or five months. And there I am. Was there a job opening or were you just saying, Hey, I like what you're doing. And- you know, I don't think there was Matt. That's a good question. I, I don't know if there was, I mean, it, you just look back at the audacity, like yeah. good for me then. Right. I want to go back and be like, high five you. Yeah. Uh, you just thought that you would go do this. You and created I don't, your job. I don't know that there was. Yeah. That's one of the beautiful things about startups. For sure. Yeah. They're for growing. Sure. And, and if you see an opportunity of where you can help, you can plug in. And it was an incredible ride. I mean, you, yeah. you both and so many listening know the incredible caliber of talent that was across the board that continues to be across the board. And it was, uh, yeah, just an electric ride. What was one of your favorite lessons you learned from working with Tim Kopp at Exact Target? You know, I always love, you know, Tim had this idea of we, we don't have to have the best sort of depth in industry knowledge as he built his team. So if I look at Tim's leadership team, even in those early chapters, there are a couple folks from tech. You had some dude that came from the state, me. You had some guy who used to run a digital agency. You had a gal who had been there for a while, Amanda Lee, amazing. But it was just this, this eclectic group of people. And I think early stage, even scaling stage companies can get so fixated on this idea. Well, we have to find people who have done this before. And Mm -hmm. Tim had a very different view. Tim was, Tim was and continues to be a guy who says, look, I'm going to find people who can work hard, who can understand problems and not bring problems, but bring solutions as they identify problems. And I realized that's one of those macro things. You're like, oh yeah, I think that was on page seven of the book. It, it <laughs> was, and it is, but no one ever, it's rare that you actually see somebody implement it. And then I want to share one story about Dorsey, because I think this is a story. Everybody knows the Scott Dorsey two and a half billion dollar exit, amazing guy. We all know that. But here's the piece that I I think was the greatest influence on my life, not my career, my life. 
is Scott has four girls. I have two girls. Uh, didn't then, by the way. Uh, and Scott made time to coach every one of his girls' basketball teams. Yep. And if you think about what happened during that period of time, let me just reset the clock here. So we're talking early 09 through exit. You know, we raised a couple hundred million in mm-hmm. venture. We took a company public. He became, he was a th- one of three co-founders who continued to evolve his leadership, continued to evolve personally and professionally to become CEO and chairman of a publicly held company and then lead a giant swath of one of the largest SaaS companies in the world at Salesforce. And he did it while being an awesome dad and an awesome husband. And there is so much power in that, that you know we can get so fixated on our careers and not realize that career is a piece of life, it's not life. And, and Scott is the example of what we should all strive to be. Did you get some insight into how he balanced that and, and created that space? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a handful of things. One, he is, he is a, a centered guy. Uh, his wife, Erin, is an amazing human being, and I think she she was also that center, right, of, of making sure that everything stayed in place. But then those around Scott, I mean, Sean Kiesling has been a longtime assistant to Scott, and I think Sean would put herself in that category as well. Of, you know, we, we need to make sure that this works. And Scott was really clear of this is how it's going to be. And what I, what I love is that we, I think we've all probably worked with folks who have said these are objectives, but living them is different. And so he, he didn't make a big deal out of it. It wasn't like, Oh, well, I'm going to go coach my kid's right. basketball team. It right. was what well, Scott's going to coach kid basketball yeah. team. Right? Like, what I it, do. it was just yeah. part of life. And so it, it what's, what was wild is, is my, my girls now are five and three. And so we're talking, you know, a chapter removed. Uh, I didn't necessarily even know it. I didn't know that I was noticing it then until now that I'm a dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and gosh, I'm so grateful for Scott's leadership and example that he set. That's yeah, a great awesome. story. A uh, quick break from our normal programming. I have Erica Schweier, COO from Elevate Ventures here in the studio today. Erica, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're going to tell us a little bit about this Rally Innovation Conference that's coming up. Yep. So it's the largest cross-sector innovation conference in the world. Um, we're going to feature six innovation studios. So think hard tech, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare, and entrepreneurship is going to kind of be our catch-all. I love that. So tell me what is... Who's it for? Yeah, it's for innovators, entrepreneurs, investors. Honestly, anybody probably listening to this podcast. And it's going to be a multi-day thing that's multi-day. happening in downtown Indianapolis. Yep. People coming in from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to be here. That's our hope. Yep. And the dates are actually August 29th to the 31st. Perfect. And if people want to find out more information about speakers, tickets, things like that, where can they go? Yeah. So they just go to rallyinnovation.com and sign up for communications. And they can also get their tickets. I love it. You heard it here, rallyinnovation.com. We'll We'll see see you you there. there. Well, let's talk about some ag tech. Let's do it. It's (laughs) one of my faves. Because uh, there are so many things I know you accomplished at Exact Target. We might have to do a part two of this just to dive into (laughs) all of that. But you are seeing all kinds of things in in agriculture, in food tech, in ag tech. Can you talk to us about just the overall market size of that industry? Yeah, we'd love to. I'll give you sort of a landscape of what's happening here in Indiana and where where we've been and where we're going. So we are a $58 billion economy in Indiana. And we talk about the direct economic impact of ag bioscience. And we, we think about ag bioscience, we're intentional in the use of the word because it comprises five key sub-verticals. Value-added food nutrition. You can think of this as really anything ingredient manufacturing, food manufacturing. So that's one. It's the largest subsector, by the way. It's crazy. $30 billion ish $30 wow. billion. Well, Yeah, I would never would have guessed that. Wow. Yeah, so juxtapose that with production agriculture. When we talk ag tech and ag bioscience, people go, oh yeah, I've I've driven by a field. Mm -hmm. 
it's a really critical piece, right? We, we cannot have the ag bioscience we have in Indiana without production agriculture, but that's sure. a 17-ish billion dollar economy. And value-added food is a $30 billion economy. It doesn't make one greater than the other. Just yeah. contextually, I think it's helpful as we drive through the countryside, you, you can start to see where this happens. So value-added food nutrition, number one. Number two, animal health and nutrition. So this is mm-hmm. everything from vaccine to feed. How do we care for that animal? How do we feed that animal? This is the fastest growing category over the last decade of Indiana's ag bioscience economy. And the, the longest pull in that tent is Elanco. You know, Atlanco had their IPO in 2018. Now they're the second largest animal health company in the world. Second largest in the world. And they're here, wow. right? And so they're building a new wow. headquarters in the old GM stamping plant uh, just across from the zoo here in Indianapolis. So that's number two. Number three is plant science and crop protection. Mm-hmm. Now, plant science and crop protection, think of this as how do we innovate in seeds? How do we innovate for resiliency, for sustainability, And then how do we care for that seed once it emerges and becomes a plant all the way through harvest? Now, here's a staggering piece. So we think plant science, crop protection, and a guy who did not major in biology, just so we're clear. Um, (laughs) Yeah, this is crazy. So Corteva is now, their global headquarters is here in Indianapolis. Guys, they're the fourth largest publicly held company in Indiana by market cap. Period. So it's Eli Lilly, number one. Elevance Health used to be Anthem Health, number two. Simon Property Group, number three. Corteva, number four. I mean, this is a juggernaut, bigger than Cummins, bigger than Steel Dynamics, bigger than Zimmer Biomet, all really important pieces of the economy. But contextually, I think we sometimes lose the idea that we have the largest pure play ag company in the world headquartered here in Indiana. In fact, it's just up the street. So those are the top three. Number four is ag tech. So this is the area that often we we talk about when we talk about this intersection of hardware and software. Fast growing, about a $2 billion, $2.5 billion market here in Indiana. And then I mentioned $17 billion in production ag. But here, I want to even broaden this out for those who are like, man, I don't, I don't know. How big is this, right? $58 billion, I don't know. It's, it's bigger than 57 and not as big as 60, <laughs> right? Like, what does it really mean? <laughs> right. So if, if you put this into context, so if you look at the economist view of this, direct impact is $58 billion. But if you look at direct, indirect, and induced, when people talk about, well, the economic impact of fill in the blank, they're usually talking about that bigger number. Yep. So it's $91 billion when you look at it in that construct, when you look at total economic impact. That's about 20% of the state's GDP. Wow. That's amazing. What, what's that like on a national scale? When you kind of com- compare, is that pretty equitable on a national scope, about 20% of the GDP nationally? That's a great question. I don't know the answer to that. I mean, yeah. when we look at the diversity here, I would argue we are above index. Yeah. It, that's just contextually. I, I don't have raw data to support it. Sure. And here's the reason why. You look at Elanco, you look at Corteva, you look at the number of innovators we have across this, this spectrum. You know, Indianapolis is a really, Indianapolis, central Indiana, Indiana at large is a really interesting geography when we think about what's here. If you think really broadly about why, why we're seeing this kind of growth, why we're seeing this differentiated above sort of the mean, we're, we have this unique asset that is we have plant health, Corteva, mm-hmm. all those around it. We have animal health, Elanco, all those around it. We have the nation's largest medical school, we have a pharmaceutical giant, and, and I, I realize that feels maybe like apples and tangerines, but if you think about this, soil health, really good soil health comes from plant science crop protection, yep. right? Those plants will ultimately feed animals. Those animals will ultimately feed people, and those people's health will ultimately be cared for by the medical system. This macro concept is called One Health. 
there is no other metro, not just in America, I would argue in the world, mm. that has the balance sheet, the assets that we have to transform that in a world where sustainability and profitability have to go hand in hand in a world where we have a really unique position to go achieve guys. I mean, this place, this place, Indiana is the place that this next chapter will be built. That, that right there is a beautiful example of like cross sector innovation in its purest form. Without right? a doubt. Direct linkage to each one. Yeah. And it's not abstracted. Right. That's a real, it's like, a real thing. That's a real thing. And you can yeah. see how all of those pieces, the puzzle fit together. Yeah. Let's, can we dive into some macro and micro sure. examples, right? I'm, you know, I'm going to leave the macro real quick and go to yeah. micro. Let's, let's do it. So um, you have all of these incredible organizations, number one, number two in the world, um, and they're right here in Indiana. So like what – you have universities involved as well. So what are some examples? I'm going to see a couple examples, pun intended. Um, but uh, so I know there's people working on like – a favorite story I heard from you once. There's a company out there. Uh, working on, if you think about a, a corn stalk. This is well, Nari. And, and Nari is an amazing company. And, yes. And how, so what if we could have a seed that the corn stalk was a third of the height instead of whatever a corn stalk is? Well, I have a fun question, by the way, for the podcast here in a minute because I did grow up on a farm. But, <laughs> so um, good. Um, but if a corn stalk could be three feet tall versus six feet tall, it could be right. much more efficient, et cetera, would be an example. There's also a shrimp farm example. Yes. Um, so talk about a couple of micro innovations yeah. that you see happening, happening that you think are amazing. Yeah, without a doubt. I want to plug into the Inari example. So you mentioned a company called Inari, Inari, I-N-A-R-I. This is a company with a giant operation up in West Lafayette. So the company is headquartered out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, Boston, and their CEO, her name is Ponzi Trevisfave. This lady is amazing. She used to be the president of Syngenta Seeds North America. And she had this vision of how can we use gene editing technology to improve the efficiency and improve the operations and resiliency and sustainability of production agriculture? And so she's gone down the path of her and her team have gone down the path of how do we use gene editing to your points? Can we, can we optimize that seed to use less nutrients because it has to, doesn't have to create as much biomass to create the same yield? Mm. It's amazing. Now here's a, like the exclamation point on why she and that company is awesome. She led the largest Series C of any female-led ag tech company in the world, in history. That's, a, that's amazing. That's and the largest, the largest operation for Inari is here in Indiana. It's bigger than their headquarters. This is the place. So that's wow. a great example. You mentioned Adaraya. Adaraya is a shrimp farm that we actually got plugged into through the Indiana Economic Development Corporation, hosted them, brought them here to Indiana. And this is why... Where were they from? Uh, from Mexico. Yep. Hmm. So they were from Mexico. Their first U.S. operation is here in Indiana. And what they do is they take a, in essence, a rail container and they have created an AI system and a software and hardware system that uses AI that feeds the shrimp, that creates the conditions for the shrimp to thrive. And they can do that anywhere, right? Because it's in That's a amazing. rail container. So you think about macro sustainability pushes. This is really interesting, right? Because we can push point of production to close to point of consumption. Yep. So we're, yes. we're lessening supply chains. That's really good. But also from a profitability standpoint, and this is a really important piece as we go forward, is those two have to go hand in hand. You can't have, you cannot have durable sustainability without profitability. It just doesn't work. Yeah. These guys are doing some amazing, amazing work. But we got to them through the Indiana Economic Development Corporation. And the, one of the reasons I believe they're here is because of this incredible economy that's here. So when they came, we hosted them in, in partnership with IEDC. 
But we were able to connect them to Elanco. We were able to connect them to uh, the, the folks at the Corn and Soybean Alliance because, well, shrimp eat things, right? right. Like the, the idea that we have this system that exists and we have connectivity that exists, it is a really easy place to plug in. Matt, you've done this so long of, you know, how do we create this connected ecosystem in terms of entrepreneurship? We see a microcosm of that in ag bioscience and it is, it is electric and it is differentiated. You talk to these guys that come in and they say, boy, this is, this is something unique, right? Like I can just come and talk with Toph and like we, I can meet anybody I'd ever want to meet. And that is happening here. And it's creating this magnet that is taking that, what was a $52 billion economy to a $58 billion economy. <laughs> and what was that growth over? Oh, that was, uh, that was over a 36 month period. Toph, thanks for the months. question. Yeah, <laughs> because here, here's the, here's the beauty guys. So we, when I joined from Reynolds farm equipment, you mentioned that earlier, a local or a regional John Deere dealer here, you know, I came in and I said, look, we, if we're going to do this, we got to have goals, right? We, we have to have a measurable metric to get to. And the board was kind I mean, we went and did some research and, we had data from 12, 15, and 18. First time we'd ever quantified this economic impact, and it came out 52.3 billion. And so we forecasted based on each of those five subverticals of what we thought we could get to. We really thought four billion. And I'll tell you, I was like, well, if we get to three and a half, really, who's mad? But we set four billion. So four billion was our goal by 2024. We called it, and we still call it our grow 2024 ambition. And when we delivered a six billion dollar growth reality from data in a 36 month period, 14 months of that, by the way, were the only periods that weren't covered by the global pandemic. Yep, yep. It's amazing. And, and just to be clear, I wanna, I wanna say this because I, I, hope, I hope we have a lot of folks listening. That is not Agronovus. That is all of the companies that wake up every day with a commitment to feed this world, whether they're in animal health, whether they're in food, whether they're in plant science and crop protection and ag tech, they're the ones doing the work. We get to be the ones that count it, to celebrate it, to give them high fives, but they're the ones that deserve the credit. I want to ask you more about these companies because there are so many amazing trends that are happening right now in technology and in innovation. And one of those I have to imagine has a huge implication on agriculture, and that is Internet of Things sure. and robotics. How is, how is IoT affecting agriculture, and how is agriculture robotics kind of changing the way we do food production, animal health, all of the things you mentioned in the ag bioscience world? Fantastic question, Matt. When you look at what are the three big trends driving the future of this economy, one of them is labor shortages will drive innovation. Mm. And so what we're seeing is a real shift, a real in, uh, innovation, if you will, in terms of robotics, not because it's cool to have a you know automated <laughs> lettuce farm, plenty, a $1 billion-ish venture capital-backed company, They've raised about a billion dollars. Wow. That fascinating. Walmart's on, on the cap table. Uh, Schmidt from Google's on the cap table. I mean, it, it's an amazing company. But they did it not because, boy, it'd be really neat if we could have automated lettuce. Because they don't have people. Right? Yeah. John Deere made a big move in 2021. They bought a company called Bear Flag Robotics. And mm. this was, imagine taking a big ag tractor that you would see running through the field and they made it completely autonomous. Wow. I mean, it was beautiful. I mean, it was beautiful. As, a, as a guy who sold tractors for a while, but also just a guy who appreciates design, I mean, it was, it was beautiful. And so the, the whole notion there was, and we went out and saw them in California, uh, they had said, look, when you plant cabbage and lettuce and cauliflower and broccoli, you're planting into a seed bed that needs to be almost like talcum powder. So you're running tillage, 12, 15, 18, 20 times over the same area to prepare the seed bed. Wow. Well, if you think about, you know, that's a guy or a gal in the tractor driver's seat. And if we can remove that 
and apply that labor, not replace that labor, set aside that labor, put that labor into higher use somewhere. Well, now we can actually scale this production. And that's what we're seeing. Case New Holland made another big move in 2021 as well. They bought a company called Raven, a publicly held company. And if you sort of dig into the filings, what you find is autonomy was a big reason why they made that move as well. And so I think we're going to going to continue to see as we look at, you know, unemployment rate, I think just came out was in the threes, 3.1, if I remember correctly, we we are at full employment. And so what it creates for entrepreneurs, my hope is those that are listening, you are catching fire. Like you are hearing this and you're like, man, I want to go run through the wall and I want to go solve these problems. These problems exist. And it's not one of those things that golly, it'd be nice to solve. I mean, guys, this is how we eat. Yeah, this right. is how our kids eat. This is the future of food and solving real problems here matters. And I would argue it matters more than most. Well, it hits home for me, Mitch, because I grew up riding on my grandpa's lap in the tractor, sure. in the John Deere tractor all day. You know, he worked 12 plus hour days. I, I remember there were a couple years he had a farm hand, but for the most part, he farmed hundreds of acres on his own and yeah. he had to ride that tractor and then do all of the other things to keep that farm going in the Dakotas. And, you know, I wouldn't trade that time on my grandpa's lap for anything in the world, but that's because that I grew up in the 90s. Right. If I grew up in the 2020s, it would be me watching my grandpa over his shoulder as he programs the, the tractor. Right. <laughs> or as he figures out how to, you know, which AI tool to use to help get more data and more intelligence to grow and produce more effectively. That's exactly right. I mean, you look at the productivity rate of acreage in the U.S. specifically, and what we're able to deliver from a yield perspective. Some of that is equipment innovation. Some of that seed innovation is staggering. I mean, the growth, uh, the amount of food that we can create on the acres we can create is extraordinary. So I think, uh, didn't Beck's hybrid seeds take it from in the 1940s or 50s around 50 bushels an acre? And I've seen some numbers recently that that I think I saw some even popped up in the 600, but like they're consistently producing 400-ish. Is that roughly correct? Might be a little high. Is it a little high? Might be a little high, but it is, it's, it's staggering. The, the rate of growth that we've seen in terms of productivity, I, I think that's such an important piece. And it's, you know, you look at the, the technology advances on the science side, that's what's making that possible. Yeah. But you also look at it on the equipment side. So, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm not a Tesla driver. I drive a really big Jeep and I love it. Um, but for those <laughs> oh, that- too bad Nate's not here. Uh, he's, a J, he's a Jeep driver Oh my as well. gosh, Nate, buddy, we need to talk. I know. Uh, but you, you, people got so excited, you know, fat, rewind five years ago when Tesla had, you know, semi-autonomous driving or semi-autonomous steering. And, and we've seen that come over time to other brands, but yep. really Tesla was kind of the forefront. Yeah. Guys, the first tractor, the first John Deere tractor with auto steer was 2001. Wow. wow. <laughs> That's crazy. So put that into context. I, I mean, there are there are some amazing innovations that are happening here yep. that have an application across, back to your cross-sector piece, yep. for us to rally around <laughs> that could make... Uh, I that see could, what you did there. You see that? <laughs> that could be really, really impactful for the rest of the economy. Yeah. Well, speaking it. of the, the people shortage, another huge trend right now is artificial intelligence, Without a doubt. machine learning. How is AI and ML playing a role in agriculture and food production? A giant opportunity. I mean, you, you look at the complexity. I mean, let's just look at production agriculture. We can, ta- we can touch on animal health if you want, but if you look at production agriculture, you're actually building an outdoor manufacturing facility, hmm. right? Where, where you don't yeah. control variability. So you can do everything you can to care for that seed, to optimize that seed, to create the conditions, weather changes, 
things happen. So when, when you think about that and you think about all the data that is coming off the production system, whether it's the, the tractor, the planter, the sprayer, drone aerial imagery, satellite imagery, weather data, all of this, being able to aggregate that and actually make sense of it, I think we're still in early innings. Yeah, we have all this big data and analytics. I, I agree with that. You... I, I think we haven't even started yet. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like we have, but like, but the, when you zoom out a hundred years from now, it'll yeah. look like we haven't even started. We haven't even started. We're just, I don't know, if we're scratching the surface yet. It's I, insane. It's incredible, and and I think that the opportunity in production agriculture specific is so you think about all of that data we just talked about. Now isolate that into a production system where you only have. 35 or 40 chances to get it right. So this isn't like SAS. What you, say, say it again. What, what do you well, mean by that? You only have well, 35 to... Yeah, so if you, you only have 35 to 40 chances to get it right, meaning you only have, as a career, you only yeah. have 35 or 40 planting seasons. Right. So the, the decisions you make, it's not like, well, we can just push an update. Well, that was a bug. Was it a feature? Different topic. Uh, the idea is you can't do that. Right? When you put a seed in the ground, you, you, can't, you can't push an update. It doesn't work that way. And so the other piece that is, I think, really, really important as we think about this aggregation of data and applying ML and applying AI is how do we do that in a way that is more coached than prescriptive? Mm-hmm. Because when you only have that many chances, it's also about risk mitigation. Yep. And, and how, do we, how do we recognize, how do we honor, how do we establish what that really means and then how do we inform and how do we coach? And it's, you know, we, we've seen a couple generations of ag tech now, I would argue we're in the fourth or fifth wave of ag tech innovation. And I think we've seen a lot of folks who have tried to say, well, this is what you should do, right? Like we, we've used all the data and this is what it is. That it doesn't work, it doesn't work that way mm. because it is such a multivariate equation and it's such a, a legacy in a very positive way of, we have to care for this land and we have to make sure that we do everything we can to be responsible to ensure that we continue to produce the food and produce the output that we do. Because again, I, as the farmer only have 35 or 40 chances to get this right. Do you have any examples of companies in the Agrinovis ecosystem that are using some of these things like AI and big data oh my gosh. to make an impact? So many. I, I, a couple of them just are on the top of my head that I love. So Tyrannus is a company that moved their global headquarters from Tel Aviv, Israel to Westfield, so just north of Indianapolis. These guys are amazing. They just raised $40 million last year. Uh, they are, so imagine a system that can, you know, actually agnostic of how they acquire the data. So whether it's a drone or whether it's a satellite or whether it's a plane, doesn't really matter, but we're taking data from aerial imageries and aerial imagery. And we're saying, Hey, look, I can spot with sub millimeter precision. That's a bug. And because of AI, I can say that bug is this kind of bug. And because of ML, I can say, well, that kind of bug typically has this kind of spread over this period of time. And you should go do this tomorrow. Wow. Yep. That's what? happening in Indiana with an incredible innovator called Tyrannus. That's an incredible example. I love it. That's incredible. It's, it's astounding. And, and that's the kind of innovation that's happening because, again, there, what, what did we learn from even the prior example? It's not saying, hey, Matt, hey, mm-hmm. Toph, you need to go do this. It's saying, hey, look, we've identified this. You make the decision. Yeah. But, hey, you should probably be aware. Yeah, knowledge, right? The old, the old saying, knowledge is power. Amen. What, what, what um, do, do you know what one, one, one of the drivers, the biggest driver or two of why they chose 
to relocate from Tel Aviv to India to Westfield, Indiana? Yeah, I think part of it's relationship. So I had a chance to join Governor Holcomb on a trade mission back in 2018 when I was selling tractors. I was confounded at the time of what, why am I going to Tel Aviv, Israel? I'm pretty <laughs> sure I'm not going to sell a combine or a tractor there, but uh, thank God I did and had a chance to meet them. Fun story. This won't take long, but it's, it's awesome. So you wonder how these deals kind of come together and yep. serendipity is a real thing. So uh, Beth Bechtel, the, the founding CEO of Agronovus, reached out to me and I'd been kind of involved in the Agronovus ecosystem for a while, spoke at a couple of their events. And she's like, hey, you're a tech guy. Find us some really interesting tech companies in Tel Aviv to meet with. We're going over with the governor. I'm like, okay. I didn't have any idea. Like, I had no idea. You just say yes, right? Like, oh, just right. sure, sure, of sure, course, sure. Jump right oh, on that. Then look at my television yeah, contacts. That's right. So I used the power of Google because that's you know that's what you do. And I you know, typed in most promising ag tech companies in Israel, and I had a whole list of them. And one of them I found, Mark Binioff, the CEO of Salesforce, was a seed investor in. And you know, I think Mark makes pretty good choices. At least he made two and a half billion yeah. good choices. Let's start there. Uh, that's probably good here in Indiana. Uh, and I was like, well, if, if Mark invested in them, they must be good. So literally, that's the, that's how we selected that company. And then I didn't have contact. So it was like the the you know old sales mentality of like, okay, I can probably guess this guy's email address. Right. O for Schlom. Schlom Ofer. <laughs> o Schlom. Schlom O. Right. Like all the different permutations of email right. address. He answered one of them. Holy shit. That's awesome. And, and we were able to uh, go meet with him. Yeah. And so we brought a delegation, we met with them, built the relationship. And then as they look to continue to grow their global presence, look, if you're going to be in this market, you need to be in the U.S. Yeah. They hire a new, uh, new guy who had some experience, who had lived in Westfield, who had lived all across the country. He conducted a really meaningful analysis. His name is Mike DePaula. Mike's now their chief commercial officer. And Mike and I spent some time around and they ultimately made the move in 2020 to make this their global headquarters. It's awesome. That's, that is an That's awesome incredible. story. Talk to me a little bit more about um, agrobiotechnology. Um, how do you use techniques like plant breeding, you know, genetic engineering, CRISPR, you know, to continue to produce uh, healthier livestock, healthier plants? What are some of the companies that are doing that? And what are you excited about in that space? Yeah, I'm really excited. So I'll go back to the sort of set the macro scene here. When you look at crop protection plant science, that segment of the Indiana ag bioscience economy for the first time over the last 10 years when we measured this, it, it didn't decline. And I, I realized saying didn't decline doesn't sound like an increase, but it, that's a big deal because that industry specifically, that segment of the market has really been compressed through consolidation, mergers and acquisitions. Sure. And so to see them jump back into a growth perspective gives me a lot of confidence that Indiana is well positioned to go capture share, not just here in the States, but globally especially with Corteva here. Yeah. When you look at the companies doing that, I mean, there's so many and there's so many applications. We talked about Inari up in West Lafayette earlier. You mentioned Bex Hybrids, Tof, doing some amazing work. AgriLiant Genetics, also headquartered in Westfield, doing some amazing work. But one I want to highlight that I think is, I mean, this, is, this gives you goosebumps. I mean, it's just amazing. So Chuck Magro is the new CEO of Corteva. Had a chance to spend some time out in California at World Agritech. This is like the Super Bowl of all things cool ag stuff happening. How many people? Uh, I don't know. Thousands. thousands. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it was awesome. I mean, just electric. So Chuck takes the stage. Uh, incredible guy, and he announces a partnership between Bungie, Chevron, and Corteva to create a new low carbon fuel. You talk about something that applies to everyone. We can talk about food, and I think we all conceptually get it. You talk about fuel, mm -hmm. right? sustainable aviation fuel, sustainable diesel. The idea 
that we could harness the power of plants to actually make that impact powerful. Now here's context. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. I love this. So I was in C- at CES earlier this year with, with IEDC and a couple other folks and John Deere was on stage. So John Deere, CTO's name is Jamie Heineman. The guy's amazing. Now the, the opening day of CES, like the opening day of CES is John Deere. That's awesome in and of itself. And Jamie said, hey, look, I, I know that there are going to be a lot of cool electric cars and innovations announced here. I want to give you context. It, it alone is not enough, and it alone doesn't solve all challenges. He talked about a portfolio approach, but he had a picture of a giant 8R tractor, so big ag tractor behind him. And he said, listen, if we were to electrify this tractor, it would take 38 Tesla Model 3 batteries. That tractor would weigh twice as much, be twice as big, and cost four times as much. Now, here's the real kicker. If, and, the re, and then the batteries don't degrade. Correct. Now, here's the kicker when you think about that. So we all, all think about the energy transition. We think, you know, fossil fuel to battery. He said, if we were to use sustainable diesel in that tractor, it would have the same carbon intensity as if it were electrified. There you go. Wow. I love it. That's the power of plant science. That's the power of innovation that is happening. And there's a perfect intersection of where you see ag tech and plant science and crop protection coming together to solve real world problems. Well, and this is something that absolutely uh, plays into the trend of sustainability. Without Probably a doubt. the biggest place that humanity can make an impact is continuing to create more sustainable ways to farm, produce food. What's interesting, we, and, and we don't hear, um, we think about sustainability, we, we, we think about fossil fuel right. to battery. There's right. no in between. And uh, it's, it's like, why? maybe we shouldn't go down that path, I don't know. But why is that? Like, why, why aren't we talking about this more as a society and shouting this from the rooftops? That that uh, not only is this possible, but it's real, and, and, it, and it's there might even be beta testing going on. Is there, are there initial versions of this already in practice? There has been a rise in the interest in sustainable aviation fuel. Yeah. I'd say that's probably one of the headline pieces we've seen. You know, we don't have to go back that many chapters to look at ethanol. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, ethanol right. is from corn, and, yep. and we're seeing that as an additive, in some cases, a complete replacement. You know, there's a really incredible company we worked with out of Chicago that we they actually owned or operated an R&D operation here in Indiana, a company called Clear Flame Engines. So Clear Flame is incredible. They're taking diesel engines and making them run entirely on ethanol. So imagine this, if you will, a John Deere tractor, could be another brand, but we're only going to talk about John Deere. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine a John Deere tractor running through a field, planting corn, caring for corn, powered by the corn that it grew. Yeah, yeah. I talk mean, about talk sustainable. Sustainable, circular economy, all of that piece is there. And, you know, it's, it's so easy, I think, for folks to, you know, say, well, what about the food system and what's happening? Or, if, you look at, if you look at producers, if you look at farmers at large, it is in their very best interest. It's in their own economic interest to care for that asset, to, to be wonderful stewards of that environment, because that is back to the, the analogy of this is an outdoor manufacturing facility. That's their palate, right? That's their place of production. And so this notion of, well, we, we, need to, we need to advance sustainability. We need to continue to innovate. We continue to need to use all the tools of plant science and crop protection and ag tech. We do, and we will, and we are. But it is an absolute misnomer to think that the, the guys and gals who get up every day to feed us aren't thinking about sustainability. That's completely wrong. Yeah. It's completely wrong. 
Well, Mitch, you've talked about so many amazing companies, so many different trends happening in ag biosciences, uh, the conferences that you've been to, the different countries you've been to. How do you stay plugged in? And for those who maybe aren't in the industry but want to keep an eye on what's going on in ag biosciences, where what do you look at? Sure. And, and where should they pay attention? So there are a handful of things that I do. You know, find the companies that you really like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I am a, as a former investor relations guy. I'm a, a complete junkie for all things stock. So watching public companies, just really incredible trends that you can discern from earnings calls and those kinds of things. More macro. Ag Funder News is a really powerful source of insight. TechCrunch obviously has some of those pieces. I think in addition to those, I would encourage you to go to agronovasindiana.com, of course. Uh, May 10th, actually, we have an event coming up that we're going to talk about this idea of, of how do you use plant science to fuel the energy transition. And so we have folks from Cummins. We have folks from Poet, the, the ethanol leaders. We have folks from Corteva joining us to have this exact conversation about we can do this. And it's those kinds of conversations, Matt, where we, we strive to have those conversations and not just to, you know, have the conversation to have the conversations. I, my, my whole ambition, we, we have this grow 2024 vision or ambition that I mentioned. If it's not to growth, we're not doing it. Yeah. I mean, this isn't like, well, we're going to have events because we have events. No, we're going to have events because we want people to connect. We want people to say, hey, look, I had an idea at this thing and we're going to go create a company or we're going to create a new product. That is why we exist. We exist to grow this economy. We, we don't exist to entertain. We don't exist to do those. We exist to grow the economy. And these kinds of events, the work that we do is 100% focused on that. That's how it happens. So um, we're probably getting close to lightning round. Yeah, you want to run it today? Um, uh, sure. Uh, we're down to our final two minutes, so we probably have qu- time for three questions. Right. I'll be brief. Go, I just <laughs> want to say one last thing. The whole the, the name of this podcast is Get In. Yeah. And like the, your history and background is like such a perfect example of just get in, right? W- whatever your background is, you come from the military or, or you, you come from you know, less means or you come from the SaaS industry. And, and now all of these other industries have opened up that need all of these different types That's of right. experiences and backgrounds and expertise to bring these new innovations to light. It's just get in. Yeah, just get in. Yeah, that's great. All right, Mitch, we have come to the end here on uh, our lightning round session. I've never done this. This is my okay. first time I've ever done a lightning round. Me either. And um, so we have come to the lightning round, and uh, we're going to ask three questions. Okay. And th- th- there's no right or wrong answer. It's your answer is the right answer. I like it. Uh, and so um, uh, here we go. You ready? I'm ready. All right. Outside of the amazing entrepreneurial ecosystem, what is Indiana known for? Mm, gosh, that's hard. First thing that comes to mind. The Indiana State Fair. Oh, we haven't had that yet. Haven't had that. What's your favorite thing to buy? Uh, I am one hundred percent a Ben's Pretzel fan. Nice. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say fried Twinkie. Come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> grateful for them, by the way. As as the chairman of the Indiana State Fair Commission, I'm grateful for their work. Uh, incredible fried Twinkie vendor. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I I had forgotten about that. That's true. Um, okay. Number two. What is a hidden gem in Indiana? I think a hidden gem in Indiana is the existing talent base that's here that is a generation or two disconnected from production, agriculture, from ag bioscience. We have an inordinate amount of really smart, really sophisticated tech developers, data scientists, AI engineers, and they all have a connection to something in rural or at least something to food. Our opportunity is to connect them. My job is to connect them with the help of you both. I love it. Number three, 
Yes. Who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who is doing big things. In terms of a company? Anything that comes to mind. Somebody's doing big things. Somebody doing big things. Uh, I'll give you a couple. Elliot Parker at High Alpha Innovation, one of the most incredible, most brilliant innovators and just a good human being. Keep an eye on him. The work that he's leading with big co's to create small co's is extraordinary. Uh, you know, another one that I would say is... I'm going to give it to the Purdue College of Agriculture. So the Purdue College of Agriculture, they, their dean, Karen Plout, Dr. Karen Plout, is now the RVP or EVP of research. So she is now over all research. There will soon be a new dean of the College of Agriculture. And the work they're doing to advance all of those sectors that I mentioned, food, animal health, plant science, ag tech, production ag, it is a gem. I mean, what, what Purdue does, I, I heard an, uh, a VC say, it's like the MIT of the Midwest. And I, I'm not sure that Purdue would actually like that positioning, but I thought it was fascinating, the outside-in perspective. They're doing some amazing work. Big things are ahead. Yeah, just for the record, Purdue's like number one in many categories. Oh, my gosh, Throughout yes. the globe, right? Well, this, this has been awesome. Thank you. Uh, Mitch, the CEO of Agrinovus, uh, amazing life story, amazing work story about balance, work-life balance. I love it, and it was awesome to have you on Get In. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. This was yeah, awesome. Thanks so much. Appreciate it, guys. This has been Get In, a powder kick production in partnership with Elevate Ventures, and we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for a guest or a segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com slash newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg executive community, check out powderkeg.com slash premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help the world get in. Since you just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder Keg. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.